the education team for Jackson Family Wines proudly brings you these podcasts for your listening enjoyment. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our next episode of the Bud Break Podcast. I'm Anna Coombs, and I'm joined here today with Gillian Handelman, Vice President of Wine Education here at Jackson Family Wines. Gillian has been with the company now for over 20 years and has worked in all facets of the industry from publishing at Wine and Spirits Magazine to working in production. Gil, can you talk to us a little bit about your background and kind of how you came into the wine industry? Yeah, sure. I started in the late 80s. Were you born yet? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was in New York State and I, I was working in a restaurant after college trying to figure out what to do with my life, and I got bitten. There was a 35,000-bottle seller there in the restaurant. Sommelier took a look at me, you know, saw that I was fascinated, and said, here, put on this this, uh, tuxedo, and you're going to work the floor. (laughs) And there weren't any women working the floor um, that I knew of, Um, you know, a few master sommeliers out there in the world. But um, so that was a good start. And then I went to Washington State to learn how to make wine. Seattle was a fascinating place to be at that time. Um, got hired by Kendall Jackson to be the enologist. So I came down to came down to California and, and started working for Jackson Family Wines. And that was it was great. Eventually decided that winemaking wasn't my jam. And so Jess set me up uh, with an education department. It was a really exciting time. Um, and then I went to I took I took a break from Jackson Family Wines, got married, moved to moved down to the East Bay and uh, was working for Wine and Spirits magazine. And that was really a wonderful experience. I learned a lot Uh, and then eventually came back because I wanted to return to, you know, vineyards and and wineries. And Jess was happy to allow me to come back. So I've been here, you know, working in education uh, since then. And it's been a great ride. Yeah, we're so lucky to have you. I know. Thanks, Anna. I work directly under Gillian um, quite a bit, and she is just a wealth of knowledge. And especially as we talk about today's topic, which is Cabernet Sauvignon and beef. Mm -hmm. The perfect pairing, the perfect pairing of the two. So, Mm -hmm. Gil, during your time in the wine industry, and I know you're an animal lover and love all things, squirrels, birds, you name it. Um, (laughs) But I know you also have a penchant for really loving beef and cattle. So can you talk kind of how did that passion start? How did that begin? Um, You know, where, what is your personal opinion of kind of what you see in the beef industry Mm -hmm, um, right mm -hmm. now? Yeah, you you know, I, I I do love animals, but I also do love (laughs) meat. Um, And so I began to educate myself about how to eat it more sustainably quite some time ago, way before, you know, we even started using that word sustainability Um, and began to locate other people who knew about beef um, so was talking to various um, restaurateurs and uh, butchers. And then I met a woman from the Artisan Beef Institute and she um, saw my passion and we started working together on education, basically how to how to educate people about beef, because it is such a powerful commodity mm-hmm. and it's it's the highest ring out of any protein in, that's sold in the United States. And so you know, you need to know how to use it properly. And if you just see it as something that you're going to, you know, stuff into your face, it, it loses meaning and it, and it also isn't good for the planet. So bringing education to, to, uh, to people around beef means that they're going to buy it more sensibly. They're going to, uh, enjoy it, uh, in a way that is more, um, conscious, right. Mm -hmm. 
And so, um, so that, that's really where the genesis was. I, I began to, to realize that education was critical to, to a healthy approach to beef. Yeah, absolutely. I know for myself and my friends, I don't eat too much beef. And I know a lot of my friends don't eat it quite as much because of what we hear about what's going on in the planet. So when we do have it, it's a special occasion. And it's nice to know where our beef comes from and if it's grass fed or, um, you know, where exactly it may be. And so because of that higher price, I know that for me, I'm like, oh gosh, I know that I need this for my special date night or whatever it right. is. And it is a luxury yeah. to have beef there. It is a luxury. It is. And and we do, we do need to approach it more in that way. And so that was part of the genesis of this as well. So this woman and I from the Artisan Beef Institute, uh, we, we began to try to create uh, more knowledge. And so, for instance, we, we developed the, this beef wheel that is the flavors found in beef. Because when I started looking around and I was looking at the USDA and all of these different um, culinary centers and the, the, there, there were no descriptions of the flavors of beef other than, um, you know, tough or chewy mm-hmm. or meaty. Mm-hmm. That's not a description. That's like <laughs> fatty. That's yeah. like saying, you know, it tastes like Cabernet, right? <laughs> so we we developed this uh, beef wheel and I put together a bunch of pallets about I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And uh, Chris Carpenter for instance was on uh, you know on my panel uh to develop these descriptors and we came up with a with a really robust set of descriptors that have have changed the way that uh, I think a lot of us view eating beef. Yeah. And that's wonderful to have because we talk about wine so much and aromas and flavors and texture. And so now thinking about your food, especially beef also in that context, so that it's not just meaty, right, is a great way to not only educate our staff, but also the restaurateurs to educate their serving staff to talk about beef in a way. Yeah. And, and, and that's true of this program. When you, when you go to sell it in, or when I go uh, and I'm interested in, in in getting someone in a marketplace to, you know, adopt the program or to let me um, show them what, what this program looks like. When you show them the wheel is when they stop and they go, oh, wow, wait a sec. So even really snarky butchers that I've met and snarky, you know, um, steakhouse uh, owners, that is the one thing where you, you, you have to get that out right away and show it to them. And they go, oh, okay. I get it now because yeah. yeah. you get it yeah. and I get it. Yeah. And now let's dive deeper and yeah. talk about beef. Right. right. So you kind of touched on earlier today chatting about, you know, sustainability and beef. And we do hear a lot about, you know, methane emissions when it comes to beef. Mm-hmm. And obviously Americans love beef. There's a million different steakhouses within the U.S. 95,000. 95,000. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, lot. and it continues to be a, a growing segment. It's, it's, it's kind of each year I look at the trends from the National Restaurant Association and as concepts, the steakhouse continues to dominate. So it's not going anywhere. Yeah, We're just eating there. less beef as an as a overall population. And I think that's healthy. The other thing that's healthy is um, ranging cattle. And we know now around carbon emissions that, that mob grazing cattle, as, as in like actively moving them from place to place with precision, restores sod. And sod is the Earth's crust. And it's absolutely critical for carbon sequestration. So they, so cattle can be our friends. Their their hooves are specially designed to to break up root balls, 
Um, they deposit nitrogen, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they can be very useful to us if we graze them properly. So that's when you would go to the store and look for grass-fed beef, correct? Yes, so that yes. is the specific beef that you're looking for. Well, but the truth is all cattle are grass-fed. They're all grass-fed in the beginning. They're first they're milk-fed, then they're grass-fed, and then they're either grain-finished or they're finished on grass. So really all cattle just need to be moved around regardless of whether or not you finish them on grain. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's talk cuts. Let's talk cuts. Absolutely. So I feel like traditionally when you're in a steakhouse, you're kind of choosing one of three cuts for the most part. Right. You're choosing your filet mignon, mm -hmm. you're choosing your New York strip, mm -hmm. or your ribeye. Mm -hmm. And if you're really hungry and you've got a hungry date, maybe you get a tomahawk. Right. <laughs> so, right. Right. <laughs> talk, you know, could you talk a little bit about those three different cuts and kind yeah. of why are they so different? And, you know, what are you looking for with each cut within those meats? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, because it's a somewhat of an intimidating topic, I really try to make sure that I show contrast right so it's it's like when you're doing food and wine pairing you want to do pain and pleasure right so first you start with the pain and then you get to the pleasure pairing and everybody goes wee and it's very similar with these cuts the the, the two cuts that typically you would want to show to anyone for whom you're you're delivering this seminar would be the filet and the ribeye right uh, the New York is somewhere in between, um, but between a filet and a ribeye, you really have such a contrast because the filet, if you lick your lips after you're, you're eating a filet, it, there's no chapstick, right? Whereas if you eat a ribeye, you can really feel that fat. You can, you can, you know, and, and um, your palate is very much coated with it after each bite, mm -hmm. which is why the Cabernet when you enter that equation, then you have the big bingo from people. So let's talk about that. Let's talk cab now. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a very similar kind of, of situation here. You want to have Cabernets in this equation that are very different from one another. That brings consciousness to the fact that, that not all Cabernet is created equally. So stylistically, if you have a supple Cabernet with less tannin, those tend to also have less herbaceousness, right? If we think about where Cabernet is grown, it's grown really in, you know, in the flats and on gentle hillsides and benches, and then also in mountains, as we know better than anybody else, because we are a mountain company <laughs> all day. Mountain wines tend to have quite a bit more tannin and supple wines grown down in the, in, you know, in the valleys or in the, on the benchlands, uh, are much more soft. And is that due to elevation within those wines? Why is the mountain a little bit more powerful, well, I so, guess you could so, say? So if you, there's a lot of different reasons, and I don't want to get into it too much because that's really an elevation seminar. But the main reason is that the skins are thicker and there's a little bit less plumpness and juice in those grapes because they don't have as much access to water. The reason that skins are thicker is that if you, they, they, they just, it's like they don't have um, sunblock. They don't have a, a way to, because you're at a, a much higher elevation, so you're closer to the sun. So they add that thickness into their skins. The grapevine, you know, does that to protect itself and to protect the berries. So you have more natural, naturally higher tannins. Did that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So if you think about what 
strips fat off of the pellet is tannin, right? Tannin literally attaches to protein molecules and drags it into your system. So it's sort of like scrubbing bubbles almost. They, you know, that it just, it, it takes that fat, sweeps it off your palate, and you can feel the sensation of that fat having been removed from your palate. So the, the, what I tend to do if I do this seminar in a restaurant, right? And so say you're pitching it, you have the two-sided sheet that you're going to show when you're pitching this program. One is a side, Steer Me to Heaven, that has all the beef information on it, and it has the beef wheel. That's extremely useful for pitching. The other side, Call Me a Cab, has all of the Cabernet information about mountain wines, about style. It also has an aroma and flavor wheel for Cabernet. So it's it's pretty you know straightforward. There's quite a bit of information on there. And you can find this fabulous document on the key. Yeah. So we'll review at the end all of the assets. But as Gillian's talking about these assets that we have available, you can find everything on jfwthekey.com. Right, right. And it's super important to have that physical piece when you go and pitch so that they can see that we have developed a lot of expertise and now we're here to share it. And what you want to do is just a, a it's a, it's a four-sequence pairing. It's a filet mignon and it's a ribeye both cooked um, medium rare. It's a filet and it's a ribeye, both cooked medium rare, salt only. And all these instructions are also on the key so that you know what to give the kitchen. Then you have a supple Cabernet and supple Cabernets would be things like um, KJ Grand Reserve, Freemark Abbey. Um, and then of course the new La Crema that's coming out in 2024 will definitely be supple. That's the La Crema house style. So you're going to have a supple Cabernet and you're going to have a firm tannic Cabernet. So those would include, of course, Capture, um, Classic, Mount Brave, which even though stylistically it's a little bit more round and open, it has plenty of tannin. And then, of course, Stone Street, which is textbook. Mm -hmm. So you have those two wines and you have a filet and you have a ribeye and you just go back and forth. And it's really it's a four tasting sequence and it's outstanding for servers because servers then know, right? Oh, ma'am, you're getting the filet. That is going to be fantastic with La Crema Cabernet because you don't want to give them a capture with a filet because it's going to rip their face off, right? It's just, it's, there's, <laughs> there's no fat mm -hmm. in a filet. And so the servers that I've, that I've educated on this um, have really been excited to to, to take a, a new level of selling beef and Cabernet to the table. Absolutely. I, uh, I recently did this actually in upstate New York with Donna Schlosser Long. We did it two days in a row. And I have to say the event was fantastic. We did it at one, a wine bar. Mm -hmm. And the second was for a distributor training. So Donna being the chef that she is, she has a sous vide available there. So we got to our location an hour ahead of time, sous vide the steak to get it up to temp. And then she had a small George Foreman little grill there. So she seared it. So she seared it after sous vide the steak. It's perfect. Medium rare, slight salt on each. And I have to say for both the wine bar group and the distributor group, their minds were blown as we walked them through. And you've taught me, Gillian, take a sip of the wine. Now have a bite of the beef. Now take a sip of the wine again. Right. And the difference between 
the supple and the tannic Cabernet against the steaks was tremendous. It's amazing to see how the filet falls apart when you have that really tannic cab. Yep. How the supple cab does not hold up to the fat of the ribeye. And it's really quite jarring when you do taste it opposite ways. But then the harmony of when you taste the firm with the ribeye and the supple yeah. with the filet. Yeah. It, it's really like minds were blown. I, I love that you that that see that's the only way to personally become an advocate for this program is to do it once because then you see for yourself. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Now you're really maximizing these two very expensive commodities and. With that consciousness comes a much higher appreciation for both. Absolutely. So as salespeople, which are most of the people listening to the podcast here, are starting to, you know, maybe they get excited about hearing this podcast and they want to do something with Cabin B for in the holidays right now. We have New Year's Eve. Valentine's Day would be a great time to do this kind of pairing. How would you, you know, what kind of accounts do you think they should be targeting? Um, country clubs? Uh, yeah, restaurants, sure. Country what? clubs, for sure. Um, steakhouses. Once again, you know, I, I mentioned how many steakhouses there are around the United States. And this can be everything from, you know, let me give you an example. Of course, there's Morton's, right? There's, you know, and there's all kinds of, of, of high-end um, steakhouses. There's Ruth's Chris. There's Cattleman's. So, for instance, if you wanted to pitch it to the GM of a Cattleman's, then you could say you could get some of, of, of your other GMs from uh, other franchises, your other Cattleman's franchises together. When you have a meeting, let me know. I'll come in and do this tasting for you. Mm-hmm. That way, then you really blow you know, the, the program out of the water because you've got all these decision makers now who see for themselves how to maximize their profits on these things, right? So that's pretty high level, but absolutely pitching it to, to, to country clubs. Also the, the patrons of country clubs love this program. You know, Mm -hmm. they tend to be be big spenders as we know. Um, They tend to eat a lot of high end beef and, and drink a lot of high end Cabernet. And so I think that when they can see that they can do this for themselves at home, that's where the, you know, the lights go off and, and they never forget who taught them this. No, they never do. When Donna and I did it during the distributor training, they said, we've never had a supplier come in and do this before and really blow our minds in that yeah. way. And then it is something you can take home. If you're at the country club, you purchase the wine there mm-hmm. and then you go home and you do it for yourself and you do it for your friends. Yeah. And then, you know, moving forward when you are making beef at home, yeah, what wine to pair with it. Yeah. I've also sold it as um, auction items, you know, to do a pairing for 20 or that kind of thing. Um, and then of course used Jackson wines and uh, again, you know, people are, are very impressed and they they seek out the specific wines that are used, right? Mm-hmm. Because of, of the, that level of confidence. Yeah. So there's a lot of different kinds of, of audiences to pitch it to. And then in terms of assets for everybody here that's listening today, available on the key, we have the two-sided infographic that Gillian was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. which includes the beef um, aroma wheel and the Cabernet aroma wheel. Mm -hmm. We have two 
tasting mats as well, one with a duo pairing and then one with four wines. Mm -hmm. We have a brochure available. We have the two aroma wheels side by side so people may take notes as they're tasting. We have a PowerPoint template. We have a PowerPoint. So we have many, many assets. And for those of you that are listening today, if you're having trouble locating anything, please reach out to myself, Anna Coombs, or Gillian Handelman. Mm -hmm. And we would be happy to sit on a Teams training with you to walk you through the program. We can put you in touch with some salespeople that have had huge success with the program and we're here for you. And there's also a script. There's a blow by blow instruction script on how to execute the the actual seminar. Now taste this. Now tell people to do this, right? So um, it's pretty turnkey. And I, for those of you who, who might feel like a little bit nervous about it, once you just even look at the infographic, <laughs> you will know more than 95% of anybody out there who, who, who thinks they know a lot about beef. So uh, the expertise is available for you very, very quickly. And Gillian, as we're kind of wrapping up this podcast here today, if there was you know one key takeaway or kind of a short summary for salespeople as they're talking about cabin beef in two or three sentences, what would be kind of the main selling point to get their buyer to maybe pull the trigger. Yeah. Once again, I'm going to reiterate, it is the highest ticket uh, protein out there, uh, beef. And it's super important to, to maximize that because it's, it's expensive and you want to give your, your consumers or your customers, uh, the most profound experience and the most effective experience that you can. Um, this gives you as a, as a restaurateur, um, or as a butcher, or anybody who is selling beef, quite a bit of a leg up, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> and so I think that that's the key is, is building that confidence and maximizing these two very, very important uh, products that are out in the market. Well, thank you, Gillian. I really appreciate you thank chatting you, with Anna. me today yeah, about nice. Cabernet and beef. Absolutely. And thank you for all of our listeners for tuning in for another very educational session. And as we mentioned, if you have any questions, please reach out to us right here. And until next time, Bud Breakers, see you soon. Bye-bye.